open up to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, we read uh, verses 1 to 6 last week, and we're going to read verses 7 to 18 this week. Luke chapter 3, verse 7 to 18. Luke chapter 3, verse 7 to 18. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we've got Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce fruit, good fruit, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share, one with who the one, should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering if in their hearts John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Well, it's two weeks until Christmas. We have gotten there and... Um, and yeah, so I'm gone for the next uh, six weeks, but um, I'm sure that uh, wherever you're doing, whatever you're doing, you'll have a great Christmas. But with Christmas so close, you must be thinking uh, all about the shopping, getting everything done, um, and, and the panic starts setting in, doesn't it? And if you're anything like me, who's done absolutely no Christmas shopping this year, the panic does set in a little bit. But we've been looking forward uh, to Christmas through this Advent period, because we've been saying, actually, we're preparing for Christmas. And that's what we do. We get the, the food ready, we get the presents all set, we get the trees up, we do all those sort of things, and we prepare for Christmas. But what we want to continue to do is prepare not just for those parts of Christmas. We want to prepare for the coming of Christ, the Messiah. So as we do that this morning, we hear John's continuing preparation of the people. For, this coming, for the coming Christ, for the Messiah that is to come. They hadn't figured it out yet. They're saying, maybe John's the one. He's preaching this good stuff. Maybe he's the one. They hadn't worked out that there is one other, there is one more coming. And the question that keeps on being asked through this uh, Bible reading, through this passage, and you probably caught it, is what should we do? It's a question at the centre of the text today, and it's a response to the call from John the Baptist last week. You remember, we're saying, repent, turn 180 degrees, go the other way. Prepare, be prepared, prepare for the Lord's coming. Make your paths straight, valleys be filled, mountains shall be made low, the path's going to be flat. You're going to be prepared for the coming of this person. The rough is going to be made smooth. And we talked about... John's call for repentance last week. And, and as, the, as, as the call to get your life straight, as, you call, as we call to turn our lives from the things that block us from seeing 
Christ, that we get the crooked out of our lives, that we make our rough edges straight through the coming Messiah, turning our way back to God. Just like you would get your house ready for a distinguished guest to come in, John invites us, urges us to prepare the most to prepare ourselves for the most distinguished guest we could ever invite, Jesus. So this morning's reading, it follows on from all of that. follows on from last week's reading. The voice calling in the wilderness was last week. This week we hear that same voice yelling out names, telling them that they, uh, they shouldn't come. Uh, don't you know why you're coming? <laughs> you don't really know why you're coming. It's a different voice we hear this morning. John's repentance is not about what excuses you have to come to this place. Rather, John's repentance says you must be turned to action. So what then should we do? Repent and bear fruit is what the message says. And what sort of fruit should we bear? Well, fruit that displays a love for your neighbour. Living out the commands to love God and love your neighbour. So we're going to briefly go through this um, passage today. I'm not going to go too long. We're going to go briefly through this passage to try and understand exactly how we can do that a little bit. So John starts his whole, this whole passage off with uh, these crowds coming to them. And as they come to him, I just get this image of them coming. It's, it's like you're coming into church and I yell out, you brood of vipers. Can you imagine that? Not a great way to start your, uh, your message, really, is it? <laughs> you brood of vipers. Um, uh, or, or you family of venomous snakes. <laughs> it's not the best way to start your sermon. I don't know if uh, anyone else would be walking out after hearing that or not. But that's how he starts it. One viper is a, is a scary proposition. A whole brood of them. Now, that's a problem. Why did John start with such a harsh word? They're coming to him. There's obviously something going on there. Perhaps we need to think of it a, li a, little, a little bit different. Why were the crowds coming to him in the first place? Scripture doesn't tell us specifically why, but perhaps they'd come to recognise that they were in fact fallen people in need of a saviour. They'd made a mess of this covenant relationship that God had set out for them to, to be with. They'd forgotten the most important things in their life, to love God first and foremost, and to love their neighbour. They'd forgotten all of that, and they got caught up in other things. And you might think, well, maybe they thought they were, they were falling short. Maybe they thought, I need something more. I don't know about you, but I know that when I've not been living up to uh, God's longing for me, I, I know that. I sense that in who I am. I know that when I'm not connected to his word, I know that when I'm, I'm tired or, or not in the right space, any sort of fruit might look a little bit mouldy. I wonder if you have that in your, you've felt that before. I wonder if you've sort of gone through the motions of church, gone through the motions of, you might even read your Bible, but it sort of just goes in and just fumbles out again. And, and you sort of sit there going, I'm just going through the motions of faith. And the fruit, well, the fruit's looking a little mouldy. Just like when you ask the kids to pull their lunchboxes out at the end of school term and they forget to do it and then you get to six weeks later and then you pull it out and the fruit's all mouldy. It's not great, is it? Um, that lunchbox isn't so good. I wonder if it was a little bit like that for these people. 
They're coming to, to John. They've made a, maybe they heard about John. Maybe they heard the, about the message that he was preaching. And they go, well, I could use a little bit of that. Maybe they didn't see any other options. Maybe they had such sin-stained lives that were dictating how they lived rather than allowing God to, to be the, the, the point point of their lives. Maybe, maybe they went, I need a change. I need something different. I don't know what it means, but I need it. And so they go and they start approaching John and John goes, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Sounds much like God's question to Adam. Who told you you were naked? John's question, it's sort of rhetorical, isn't it? And it hits an accusation from John, but straight after, you're a brood of vipers, but there's a challenge for you in this. It says, you brood of vipers, produce fruit. Produce fruit. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, straight after uh, the, 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 the big you brood of vipers, he says, you should be good fruit. You should be producing good fruit. And straight after that, he explains a little bit of what he's saying. John tells the crowd that the fruit that stems from repentance, it actually can't come from your heritage. It's not a lineage type of fruit. Now, the Abrahamic covenant was massive for God's chosen people. Uh, it's one of the key elements of the Old Testament. And this, it's a generational promise, uh, beginning with Abraham, moving through all of the descendants. So, so to claim the promises of Abraham, in a sense, w- was something that they would do. It made sense a little bit to them prior to the Messiah coming. Yet now John preaches this baptism of repentance that is to produce fruit... Faith can no longer be based on your heritage. Faith cannot be done based on your parents or your grandparents or going back to the lineage of Abraham. It's going to be meaningless. Repentance is what is key in John's message. So this is game-changing for the people of God that that John is bringing in here. He's bringing it in to the crowds that are coming forward. You're coming maybe because you think that your lineage is going to save you. Well, that's not it. There's one coming. There is one coming. Get ready. Prepare yourself. So let's recap what he's done. In the first few verses, John's called the crowd vipers, snakes. Uh, John's called for fruit that comes from repentance. And John says, you can't hang your hat on your Abrahamic roots. So the rest of Luke then talks about the question that comes up. And it's a valid question. And it says it three times in the text. Then what should we do? What then should we do? You've probably asked that question before, haven't you? You've probably asked that question. It's a question that we ask when life just gets a little too much. It gets complicated. It gets difficult. I don't think it's a, a question that you ask someone to go, all right, there's the five things that you should do. I don't think it's a question about gathering information. I don't think we're saying, ah, what then should I do? And you, want, you give me the answer so that I can fix it. I think it's a question that sort of speaks of the powerlessness of the person. What then should I do? You might have said that before. I can't, I can't rest on my heritage. You're calling me for fruit from repentance. I don't even know what that means. What should I do? What should I do? I don't know what to do. 
It says that we've come up against something that's bigger than ourselves, and ourselves, we can't fix it. We can't control it on our own. There's a sense of resignation, of powerlessness that comes through it. What then should we do? And it's not a question confined to this passage, to those who are down and out, as I suppose, those who are at the bottom of the pile and are just, they're so far gone that they're going, I need something. Oh, there's someone saying some stuff. Maybe he'll help. It's not confined to just people that are struggling. It's com- Let's hear who says it. First the crowd in verse 10 says it. Even the um, first crowd in, um, asked it. Uh, in verse 10. Have we got it up there? I've lost my little bit in verse 10. Um, let's go back. Um, what should we do, the crowd asks. They just ask, What's, what should we do? There's nothing more than that. <laughs> what should we do? The crowd has come to him. What should we do? And then the tax collectors. So the crowd, just, just every, everyday people come to him. What should we do? Then the tax collectors, they came to be baptised. The tax collectors, they're not the liked people. And they say, what should we do? In verse 12. And the final question comes from some soldiers. And the soldiers ask him, what should we do? And we see John respond to each reiteration of this question by offering a response that helps us to understand what it means to show fruit worthy of repentance. So to the crowd, John says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. If you've got more than you need, give it to someone who has less. That's what he's saying. Share what you have with those who don't have as much. Whether it's food or clothing, maybe it's shelter, maybe it's money. If you have more than you need, share it. Show generosity to others. That's the fruit of repentance. To the tax collectors, if you, if you don't remember who the tax collectors were, um, they didn't mind just sort of adding a little bit on top of what they were asked to gather. Um, so, so they'd go around to their neighbours, in essence, the people that of, of, of God, and say, oh, well, you owe this much money, but it's actually this much money because I'm going to take the little bit off top. So they weren't liked at all. So, so John says to them, don't collect any more than you are required to. Well, that's what fruit looks like. So stop stealing from your own people. Those who would be your neighbours, don't steal from them. They are the people who live in your community and you're skimming off the top from them. To the soldiers, he says in verse 14, don't extort, extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The soldiers, they were people of power. They had control of the situation. They had control, they had power over the, the common people as such. And John's saying, don't take advantage of the average person. He says, don't hoard. Don't keep your two shirts. Don't skim off the top. Don't extort. If you consider those three things together, you can hear John responding to the question, well, what should I do? With the response, repent and bear fruit. And that fruit is all about loving your neighbour. It's all about loving your neighbour. John's calling him back 
to their Jewish roots, of which Jesus reiterated uh, um, in the, as the most important commandments. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That's your first thing. You've forgotten that. Repent. Turn back. Come back to him. That's the first thing. And now he's saying, love your neighbor as you would yourself. If they haven't got a shirt and you've got two, just to make sense, just give them a shirt. Don't, don't take from them what is not yours. Don't lord it over them as if you've got some sort of power. Love your neighbor as yourself. Repent, come back to God, and the fruit will be in how you treat your neighbor. The question we have to ask is, who's your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? We often talk about your five closest neighbors, don't we? Uh, the people that when you sit in your lounge room, living room, looking out in the street, you see five houses, one next door, one next door, three across the road. You might think of the people behind you as well, maybe six, seven. But who is your neighbor, really? Your neighbor could be anyone who God's placed on your path. It might be a work colleague. It might be someone in the schoolyard that uh, uh, when you t- drop the kids off, you meet. Could be someone that you sit in the cafe across the way every second day. They're there. You think, I should say hello one day. Could be your relatives. You see, John doesn't go and say to the crowds, repent and, and, and bear fruit. And that fruit's going to be the world-changing thing. That's still to come. Rather, he says, change yourself. Change yourself. Get ready for the coming Messiah. Change who you are. He doesn't tell them to quit your job and live a different life and become like him out in the wilderness. He didn't expect the crowds to go and eliminate poverty or, or share food with thousands of people. The tax collectors, they weren't going to be able to go back and overturn the whole systems. But what they could do is they could change themselves. They could become honest. The soldiers, they couldn't stop the Roman heaviness of the rule, but they could act with integrity and justice. The whole passage speaks about how the crowd interacts with others, how you interact with your neighbor. So what should we do? What then should we do? We must bear fruit by loving God, turning back to him, and loving our neighbor. What a great time to do that at Christmas. What a great time to step out of our house, of our comfort, and be a neighbor to someone else. Perhaps it's inviting a neighbor or a non-Christian friend to, to a meal. Say, hey, we're having some, some food tonight. Do you want to come over? Or even some just drinks out on the grass, <laughs> out in the nature strip. Perhaps it's stopping to pray for the homeless man that, that just looks like he needs a hand. Or stopping and going to buy some food for them and giving it to them. Perhaps it's not taking a a cash job that maybe will get you a step ahead, but rather putting it through the books. Perhaps it's not using your position of power to your advantage. Rather, it's being humble in your space. It's all fruit that impacts the neighbor. Yet it's all a precursor to the one who's still to come, isn't it? Because the one who stood to come will come with a greater power. A greater power than John the Baptist. John wasn't the Messiah, but there is one that points to the Messiah. A greater power. The Messiah is to preach a baptism not of water, but of the Holy Spirit and fire. It is powerful. 
You know, we're blessed that John's message is not the end message. If it were, the crowds would go around, uh, would leave, and they would be powerless. Great experience, bear fruit, great message, but powerless. Because the good news of Christmas is that God brought one into the world who is more powerful than John the Baptist. And the message is more powerful than John the Baptist's baptism. It's a message of power. John's message is a message of preparation. Repent, bear fruit, don't rest on your heritage, prepare yourself, don't lose your passion for God, make sure you love your neighbour. But there is one who is coming who brings so much more. Jesus changes the world. Jesus brings forth a freedom for the oppressed. Jesus strengthens the weak. Jesus feeds the hungry. Jesus has the power to change our very circumstances and circumstances of the world around us. We are the ones who must be willing to say yes. Jesus, this one who is to come, the one that we anticipate. Are you prepared for his coming? Are you prepared to produce fruit in keeping with repentance? Let me pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your word, your word that can challenge us, can help us to think about how we must act within the world that we live, one that prepares us for this season, a season where you are coming, the Messiah. We thank you for the opportunities you give us. May we grab hold of them to be your hands and feet in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.